we were only separated about a month when he got his final DUI and wound up in jail. It, it was it was horrible. It was one of the worst days of my life to, to find that out and to know that I couldn't go get him and do anything. Of course, he wanted me to, but I knew I couldn't and wouldn't. And my sponsor again came in. You know, it was very clear that I couldn't be part of that, that he had to decide that if he was going to get out of jail, he was going to go straight to rehab. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. We've got a special program tonight. We're featuring a love story, but it's not the type of love story that you expect to hear on Valentine's Day. It's a story of marriage and alcoholism, separation, jail, restoration, and terminal cancer all across the span of 30 years. We're joined by Lee Self, a former high-tech executive who now facilitates CEO peer learning groups. Lee joins us to talk about the effect of her husband's alcoholism on her and her family and the practical and foundational lessons she and her loved ones learned from their experiences dealing with it. Lee, welcome to Grace and 30. Thank you. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us about uh, your husband, how you guys met, and how you fell in love. Okay. Well, I met him in high school. And uh, not long after we met, uh, we started dating and we fell in love. And so we dated all through college and uh, got married a week after I graduated. And so that was back in 1984? We married in 84, that's right. I guess really the, the core of the story is that, that your husband basically drank, and you drank your yeah. entire relationship, correct? He, he did. He was, um, in hindsight, uh, he was an alcoholic when I, when I started dating him even, uh, although it was not clear to me that that was the case. I didn't know anything about the disease. His mother had warned me um, because his father was an alcoholic, and I totally put that aside because I loved him. So in my mind, it couldn't be possible that um, that I would be so in love with someone who had such a horrible, you know, problem. So I spent uh, most of my time over the next, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years um, trying to drink as much as I could right along with him to prove to myself and everyone else that this was normal. It wasn't an issue. So when did it get to a point where you started to say, hey, there's a problem here? It wasn't like it was one point, um, but things progressed. So the denial was very persistent. Uh, I did not want to believe this. The The shame that goes along with this um, is significant. But, um, you know, he was a functional alcoholic in most ways. He worked. He was an awesome employee. He was a loyal husband. And when we had children, he's a good father. And yet he would go go drinking after work and drive home and so there were duis there were also arguments when he would drink too much we would have arguments and um and so the you know the combination of the arguments and the duis uh really started to take a toll on me i became uh very angry uh very convinced that um, everything in our life that was right was because of me and everything that in our life was wrong was his fault, which, of course, is, is never the case. Every married couple. <laughs> yes. But, um, but the rage that I started to feel because of his, uh, what I considered unwillingness to change, when I really know now it wasn't unwillingness to change, he just couldn't manage it and neither could I. 
You mentioned when we talked, uh, we met and talked during a pre-interview that your daughter noted there was a lot of yelling going on. Yeah, once once um, once it became known, you know, that we talked about the fact that he had a problem. She said she never and by this time she was in high school. She said, I never realized that I could never tell if he was drinking. I just knew you yelled a lot. (laughs) So that was her cue, I suppose. And I guess the big thing that he did was he he drank at night and then he would drive, drive home. Yeah, that that was um, part. Of, I mean, there were a lot of big things, but that was the um, the the ultimate, um, you know, the hardest part. So tell us about when you reached the point where it, you really did cross a threshold. You realized that something was wrong and you needed to do something. Well, um, I guess. <laughs> I guess there were two. There were two turning points. Uh, one was before I were really. I did not think I was at the end of my rope yet, but I wound up uh, being invited to the high tech prayer breakfast, and in an Adolf Coors the Fourth. Ironically, it would be um, someone related to the alcohol industry that um, his words really hit home for me. But he talked about his problems in his own marriage and how God convinced him he needed to put God first and put his wife second. And I got the God first part, but the putting my husband second didn't seem like that was possible because I didn't think he deserved that spot. But when I when I, I did leave and I realized that I had turned away from God during this time, all that denial, all that shame, all that anger, um, you know, marrying my husband wasn't wasn't the mistake. I don't believe the mistake was what I did once I turned to him. I turned away from God. So that prayer breakfast pulled me back to God. I started reading the Bible, and I started praying for my husband. I had prayed that God would fix him to make my life better, but I had not been praying for him and for God to save him from himself. So I started doing that. And then um, as the drinking progressed, really over the next year, um, it got it got much worse. It was much more of a roller coaster between um, him coming home more drunk, still driving, saying he wouldn't, trying to stop. You know, this it just was nonsense. And um, I I just found myself at the end of my rope, and I went to an Al-Anon meeting, which was uh, Al-Anon, by the way, is a twelve step program for families and loved ones of alcoholics, whereas the alcoholics themselves go to AA. But both are based on the 12 steps. So I found myself in an Al-Anon meeting, which was the last place I ever wanted to be. But it was the first place where I could be honest. Um, And I started being honest with myself. I started hearing other people tell about their experiences, and I realized there was no denying it anymore. And and so Al-Anon was a huge part, uh, a huge turning point for me. And this is 2005, 2006? In that time frame, uh, yes, between the high-tech prayer breakfast and then going to Al-Anon. And then at the same time, um, I was asked to start a working women's Bible study, which um, I took that on. And um, little did I know, I had very little to, sh- to teach anyone else about the Bible, but I had a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by um, a room full of very strong uh, Christian women who I still was I was not telling them about my husband's drinking problem I would never do that but they still taught me um, they taught me how to how to pray they taught me how to um, read the word um, 
and they loved me most of all they just they just surrounded me with love meanwhile in Al-Anon I'm telling the truth and I'm getting a lot of love there too and as I continued to hear the truth in Al-Anon um, I didn't ask for God to humble me or for me to have a forgiving heart toward my husband but my heart just began to change God humbled me um, and I started to realize that I couldn't fix him and I was the one that was wrong for having been trying to do this on my own instead of relying on God to begin with. Yep. So it sounds like the Al-Anon meetings and the Bible study were, were two communities that yes. helped you. You didn't have anything like that before that, correct? No, I was pretty isolated in my pain. So how long did it take before you, you issued an ultimatum at some point ah, to your husband? Yeah. And well, so how long did that take before that happened? And Yeah, well, I was in Al-Anon for a little over a year when I finally decided, um, you know, in Al-Anon, in AA, they have sponsors. And in Al-Anon, we also have the opportunity to get a sponsor. And so I asked a woman to be my sponsor, and we started working the 12 steps pretty diligently. And it was simultaneous with that, not necessarily because of that, but it just so happened that his drinking just really was progressively worse. worse. And I, um, I, the last thing I ever wanted to do was to walk out on him or our marriage, but she helped me see that I didn't have to, that I could um, commit to our marriage and still tell him that it wasn't okay for there to be alcohol in our home that I could simply draw a boundary and say, I can't have alcohol in the house anymore. So if you can't stop drinking, you're going to have to find another place to live. And that's exactly what I told him. And I told him I am committed to our marriage and I love you. And um, it, it was only, he tried, he heard me and he did try. He loved me. But eight days later he came home drunk and, um, and that was that. Um, so he found another place to live um, so he didn't go kicking and screaming. He knew no, he should go. No, he, he knew. It, it, I gave him time to find a place. And in those days and, and weeks that he was looking for a place to live, um, there were days of not kicking and screaming, but there were days of pleading. There were days of arguments, right? But ultimately, he was resolute about the fact that he needed to find another place to live, and he did. But um, he was he – was, only we were only separated about a month when he got his final DUI and wound up in jail and um, at that point um, it, it was it was horrible it was one of the worst days of my life to, to find that out and to know that I couldn't go get him and do anything of course he wanted me to but I knew I couldn't and wouldn't. And my sponsor again came in, you know, it was very clear that I couldn't be part of that, that he had to decide that if he was going to get out of jail, he was going to go straight to rehab. That was that was really the only option. So, um, yeah, that must have been really tough not to rush down and bail him out. And yeah, it was. Um, but um, but I didn't. And he got out of jail and went straight to rehab, which is what I told him, you know, that was the only uh, terms that I was okay with. And um, he never drank again. How long was he there in jail? It was just a month 
which is I'm just a month. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's bad enough. It, it, it's it's not really when you look at the problem of alcoholism, it is unusual for a one month stay in rehab to be effective. A one month of rehab, not in jail. No, he wasn't in jail for a month. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. How long sorry, was he in jail? Thanks for clarifying. Oh, uh, three, four days, something like that. So something happened in jail to him. Yes. <laughs> so when when he came home after rehab, I um, he started going to church with me, and I thought he was doing everything. I didn't trust him, and I thought he was just trying to patronize me. And but over time, it it seemed genuine. So I said to him, I said, so when did you decide, you know, that you would um, trust Jesus with your life? I mean, what, you know, and he was very introverted, so he didn't say a lot, but he said, well, I guess it was that first night in jail when I knew you weren't coming to get me. And he um, he surrendered. He and, and, and he, you know, when he was in rehab, he would call me and ask me to read from the Bible to him. It was crazy. This is not the man that I had lived with for all these years. Um, so that gave me hope, but I was still scared to death when he came home. You're listening to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. We're talking to Lee Self, a former high-tech executive who now facilitates uh, CEO peer learning groups, and she's talking about a story of love and alcoholism, reconciliation loss, and the ultimate gain. It's actually a, a real Valentine story. Returning to your husband coming home, it took you a while. I mean, how did, exactly did you feel when he came home? Because I know he was doing things that were strange to you, and, and you had a trust issue. You had been oh, yeah. so many issues for so long. What happened exactly when he got home? Well, it was, it was slow, and it was difficult. I was scared. Um, I didn't trust him, and yet I, you know, I let him come home. I, I loved him. Um, it was really, really hard. And I think for at least a year, I didn't trust him. And so our relationship was having a hard time, you know, coming back to life because it was pretty much um, there was a huge trust breach. But little by little, um, our relationship was restored. And, um, you know, two, three years later, we were actually I mean, we had a relationship we hadn't really had. Um, And that was. that was amazing. So it took about a year to build that back up. You started having fun together? Yes, yes. Because, I mean, you had been together 20-some years. Yeah, we had a point. lot of fun in the beginning, but it wasn't necessarily healthy fun. There was a lot of drinking involved. This was fun without drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Something new. So what's amazing about the story is three years after he gets out yeah. of prison, he is diagnosed with cancer, correct? Yes, yes. So tell us about that. Well, um, he was diagnosed. He smoked. Um, I smoked, too, but I had quit long before. He was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer, which is not a cancer that you survive, typically. And my father had died of it, and I, we all knew. And, um, and we, he, he refused to talk about dying from day one. Uh, we were devastated, but um, he, he just chose to live Every day, um, one day somebody asked me, you know, how are y'all doing? And I said, well, you know, some days are better than others. And my husband said, I think they're all good. (laughs) And at the time, I kind of was annoyed that he said that because (laughs) the reality was there's a lot of pain. Um, But I'm I'm so grateful that he lived those those days um, fully. 
So did this shake your faith? I mean, you had to think. We were together 20-some years. We had all these issues. He finally stops drinking. He comes home. We, we've grown together again. We're, we're having a good time together. And then he gets cancer. I mean, what, what was your thinking at that moment? Well, when he, when he got cancer, I don't, I don't think I thought a lot about all of that as much as I, just, I was just devastated. I was in pain. Um, but I remember when he died, which was about 10 months after his diagnosis, the first initial flood of feelings was, um, I mean, I was, again, I was in shock, but, but really I had this overwhelming sense of gratitude when I comprehended the fact that um, God restored our marriage. God knew, and he, he moved in and, um, and helped us move on, and, and, and we had um, a, a beautiful relationship that if it had happened, you know, five years earlier, it wouldn't have been so good. Yep. Um, so it wasn't good anyway because he, he was gone, and I missed him, and I went through the full grieving process, and, um, and it was really, really hard. But I never felt angry at God. I felt nothing but gratitude. Good for you. So how long ago did he pass away? That's been um, just a little over six years. Okay. So you have two children. Yes. A son and a daughter. And your son was 16 at the time that he passed away. So what happened with him? Because he didn't take that death too well, did he? No, it was it was horrible. I don't know why I didn't see it coming. But my son um, was in high school. He... um, he refused to go to school. He couldn't go back to school. He tried a few times. It did not go well. It was horrible. He was in deep depression. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted him to go back to school, you know. And so we worked with the school and we changed schools and we got him in a computer assisted program. And then, you know, thinking that if he just had a fresh start at a new school, everything would be better. But it wasn't. It wasn't better. Yeah, he definitely, you know, was following in his father's footsteps. So um, I won't go into more than that. But uh, within six months, it was extremely obvious that he had his father's drinking problem. In fact, I go back my sponsor on the phone. She's not even, you know, in the state anymore. And she didn't see him with her own eyes. But she heard me describe the situation. And she said, Lee, I think that young man needs to be in residential treatment. And um, so my son came to the same conclusion. He knew he was in bad trouble. Unlike his father's disease, this didn't happen gradually. It was very accelerated. Um, And so he knew. Did he realize within months or a couple years? No, no, it's months. Within six months um, of my husband dying, we put him in rehab. Hmm. And, um, And he was there four months. And, um, and I, miraculously, he never has drank again. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. It, so that's it, been about five years. Yeah. It's been almost, it's been very close to six years at this point. And, um, I mean, I still go to Al-Anon. I hear a lot of stories about husbands, about a, a ton of parents I, I am in fellowship with. It is not, it is not common it is not common for a 16-year-old to go to rehab and never go back, right, yep. to, to make it and to be in recovery. And, um, you know, I remember when he started, what I say, falling off a cliff, basically, during that time, I was on the phone with my sponsor, and I said, I, this, this isn't fair. I can't do this alone. And she said to me, you're right, you can't. 
and I was pretty annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted her to say something to make it better, but um, but it was true. In in Al Anon, we have a saying. Uh, it sort of summarizes the first three steps, which is, "I can't, God can, so I think I'll let Him." Mm-hmm. And um, and I realized I wasn't alone. Because not only was God there for me, like he had been there for me during my husband's illness, um, he showed up in tangible ways with my son. He sent an army of men into his life, men from the school, teachers, coaches, a neighbor who I didn't really even know that well, who showed up on Christmas morning, the first Christmas back from rehab, and, and had a gift for him and a note that told him how proud he was of him. Wow. Um, Wow is right. I mean, it's just from all over the place, men showed up in his life. And then there were the men in AA who walked with him and led him into a life of sobriety. And um, I'm so grateful because now he is continuing to be in fellowship with um, and is is mentoring and um, and helping other young men. So he found his communities. Yes. One was AA and the other was these this group of men yes. who kind of surrounded him. Yes. So I want to make sure we talk about some of the lessons you've learned from right. this journey because I've, I've heard you, we've talked, and I've seen you speak on recordings on the web and share with us some of the most important things that you've learned. Well, I think that what I just said earlier I'll repeat, um, and I still have to remind myself, I can't. God can so I think I'll let him. You know, one of the scriptures that popped out at me when I was going back to reading the Bible after that high-tech prayer breakfast was Psalm 46:10 which says, "Be still and know that I am God." And when I heard that when I read that verse it was like I almost felt paralyzed. I could feel it was like God's hand was on me just saying, "Sit down. You know, stand down for now. Um I I got this." And so that's a huge lesson for me. And for many other people, and it's a hard lesson. It's easier said than done. <laughs> yep. Another um, another lesson is, as I said earlier, I had turned away from God. I mean, I still believed in him, but I certainly wasn't trusting him with my life. And I certainly wasn't going to him with my problems. Um, so it's no wonder I was in such a mess. Um, so I, w- I would say another huge lesson is, um, you know, if you're, if you're able, if you believe in God and you believe in that Jesus is his son that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to save you then you know take advantage of that yeah. uh, turn to him um and and he'll be there for you he will be there for you and he won't he's not there to shame you or chastise you he's there to love you and to give you answers and to and to lift you up and then you know for there's many people who don't who don't share my faith um but I, I'm a pretty strong believer in the fact that, um, you know, that Jesus is God's son, and he didn't die on the cross for nothing. And I used to have a difficult time really understanding how the cross was relevant to my life. Um, it didn't quite make sense why, why he had to die on a cross, and what does that have to do with, with me and my problems? But in hindsight, with my husband's cancer, I see that, you know, cancer's a lot like sin. Just a little bit will kill you. And you can't cure it on your own. But, um, but you know, if I had been able to take all the cancer out of my husband's body and put it in mine, I would have been the one that died and he would have lived. And so that's what Jesus did for us. He took our sin, all of my mess, all of my craziness, um, 
on himself when he died on the cross. And he did that for that reason, so that I would have a promise of eternal life. So if you haven't ever trusted in Jesus, I just encourage you to pray to God and just say, look, help me, help me see, you know, who you are. Help me believe he'll meet you where you are. And um, and he'll, you know, there's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says, I believe, help my unbelief. Yep. And so whatever you are able to believe, just tell him and ask for his help. That's that's excellent. So when I put this list of questions together, I had the lessons learned, and then I had the call to action, and there's a lot of overlap between yeah. those two. Oh, I, I guess I jumped in, so, huh? No, no, this, <laughs> this is fine, because I, but is there anything, would you like to challenge people? You kind of have already in a couple ways, but is there anything else that leaps to mind, anything you'd like to challenge listeners or share something else with them? Yeah, one thing I, I didn't say, but you called it out a few times, which was community and the importance of community. I mean, don't try to go it alone. You know, God created us to be in community. And um, I don't I don't know where I would have been. I don't I don't know. I don't want to think about how it would have been if I hadn't gone to Al-Anon, if I hadn't joined Working Women's Bible Study, if I hadn't gone back to God's word, if I hadn't had a sponsor who stood beside me through thick and thin for over 10 years. This woman, you know, kind of helped me with the most critical decisions in my life. So, um, you know, find find people who can who can support you and don't be afraid to ask. And she was available every week for Absolutely. about 10 years, correct? And, we, and she just passed away to you. you she mentioned. did. She did. So she was really important to you. Incredibly important to me. What about you mentioned as well when we talked about what you're trying to control? Are you trying to control anything you want to? sort of challenge people to stop being control oh, yeah. freaks and I mean, to sort of surrender. We all do it. We all do it and we don't even see that we're doing it. But it's the it's the thing that keeps us from experiencing peace. And we, we try to control other people. We try to control our work, our job, all of our circumstances. Um, you know, it, it really is a daily job. That's why in Al-Anon and in AA, they, they talk about one day at a time. Because God just created 24 hours for us, you know, and we get to hit the, in a way we get to hit the reset button every day. So just for one day at a time, try to give the control over to God. So anything, we got another 45 seconds, anything else you'd like to add or? (laughs) Well, um, I would, I would add, you know, I would go back and say, um, it's, it's been hard. There's been a lot of shame related to this disease and it's hard when I reflect on it and come out and start talking to people about my husband's alcoholism. Uh, my concern is that people think, you know, that he was awful and, you know, poor me. But but really, that's not the case. I mean, the case is it is a disease and he was doing the best he could. And he was a loyal husband and a good father. And um, and we both we both were affected by the disease and we both needed just as much recovery. Yep. And then there's there's two sinners in every marriage. Yes. Right? <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us uh, and being so candid about uh, your story here. If listeners know someone who has a drinking problem and you're seeking help, please check out Al-Anon on the web, and you can find them at al-anon.org. A replay of the show will be available on the graceand30.com and wera.fm websites. We'll also put it up on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Lee signing off on Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.